Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, October is National Cooperative Month, the Salvation Army's 2021 Hope Marches On campaign is underway, and a Rochester author is out with a new book that every Minnesota Vikings fan will want to read. But first... Last weekend's mass shooting at a popular St. Paul bar that left the capital city reeling this week played out in the political arena at the state capitol. We have to have more police on the streets, period. Minneapolis and St. Paul have got to get control of their streets. The the city of Minneapolis has got to vote that they want more police, not less police. Argues Senator Paul Gazelka, Brainerd Lakes area Republican who's running for governor. St. Paul Democrat Sandy Pappas, in whose district that mass shooting occurred, responded, we've tried more police and it has not worked very well. The bottom line is it's too easy to get a gun legally and illegally. And there's too many guns in our society, and there's too many people making money off selling guns and weapons, and it has to stop. Rashmi Senavarethna with the group Protect Minnesota says police are not the one end-all, be-all answer. It's the root cause. It's, it's mental health. It's after-school programs. It's background checks. It's Um, You know, in Minnesota, 68% of gun deaths are suicides. She says in the case of the mass shooting in St. Paul, she's not sure how police on the outside could have helped. A viewpoint shared by St. Paul Police Chief Todd Axtell. Senator Michelle Benson from Ham Lake, who's also in the field of Republicans running for governor, points out those arrested in the St. Paul shooting have criminal records. The problem goes beyond a lack of police officers. I think it also includes prosecutors not charging to the full extent possible and judges not trying to keep criminals off the street during this time when we really need to get crime under control. Democratic Senator Pappas contends Republicans' stance on protecting Second Amendment rights misses the real issue. People want to hunt. My brother's a hunter. I eat venison. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that you should be able to carry guns into local restaurants and bars. Republican Senator Gazelka responds, law-abiding citizens are not the problem. This is a battle among gangs and others that just aren't paying attention to the law enforcement people because there's not enough around to stop them. Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz says the shootings put Governor Tim Walz and Democrats in an even more difficult political position. I suspect what we're going to see is the Democratic Party increasingly be torn by this issue, um, not just this fall, but into the 2022 elections, both locally and nationally. Schultz says a recent poll demonstrates the political dilemma that the racial split over policing seems to be the opposite of what many people would expect. More white Caucasians within the city of Minneapolis supported um, you know, what people have called the defund police measure than do African-Americans. And so this is not necessarily even cutting along the racial dimension lines in the way many people think. Schultz contends that makes sense because many victims of violence are persons of color. He says Republicans with their get-tough-on-crime stance are in a better position politically after what happened in St. Paul. 
The stalemate continued at the Capitol this week over COVID bonuses for Minnesota's frontline workers. And one item now also stalled because of that is $10 million in drought relief for farmers that Governor Tim Walz is asking lawmakers to approve. State Agriculture Commissioner Tom Peterson says the situation has eased somewhat, but 50% of Minnesota is still in severe drought. 20% remains in the extreme drought category. That's still a lot, you know, when the damage was done there in August and in July when we really needed those timely rains. We didn't get them. We're getting them now. Walls administration proposing $5 million for what they call rapid response grants to farmers, plus an additional $5 million in zero-interest loans. The DNR has launched a war on deer farmers, says State Representative Tim Miller from Prinsburg, about the agency's newly announced ban this week on importing or moving farm deer within Minnesota to control the spread of chronic wasting disease. We're talking about hardworking Minnesotans that are trying to earn a living off of a very important livestock and the DNR has effectively shut them down. Miller contends the agency is targeting deer farms but doing nothing to address the situation in the wild where he says deer are free to roam and can cause all sorts of problems. He says he has asked the DNR but there's no answer. Give me the whole story of why the farm deer are the problem and you don't appear to be doing anything with the wild deer. Responding to our request for an interview, DNR officials referred to a previous statement from Commissioner Sarah Stroman that the agency is doing everything it can to reduce continued risk of chronic wasting disease transmission in Minnesota, quote, including from farm deer to Minnesota's wild whitetails. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person, and if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. It's National Cooperative Month. Co-ops nationwide and locally are raising awareness about broadband service, transitioning to clean energy, and making a shift to electric vehicles. I recently spoke with Scott Reimer and Dave Hansen with the Federated Rural Electric Association about co-op goals for the foreseeable future. I'll start with you, Scott. I'm wondering... Uh, what is the emphasis? What do you want most of our listeners to know is the focus of this National Cooperative Month? Well, I think I think from our perspective, we just want our customers to know, our members know that that we've been here for them, you know, since the 1930s, and we're here for them today, and uh, we're we're all about reliable electricity, customer service, and safety. So we want them to have a good experience. 
Well, that certainly makes sense. And, and Dave, I understand there are three kind of elements that uh, are being focused on this particular year, one of them being broadband, obviously, uh, in particular, getting broadband out to every Minnesotan is, is crucial. Tell me why that's so important. This year with the COVID, this past year with the COVID emphasis, the education went home. And with that, they needed the service to get uh, their lessons and, and their schoolwork. And I, we don't have any home-aged children in our home. But when I talk to neighbors, uh, they want everything that fiber offers in the municipalities. And, of course, that's not readily available out in the rural areas. So some of us uh, watch meetings and so forth over the WebEx and so forth and trying to stream those if you had a large audience and it was a statewide or national meeting uh, you had interruptions every other sentence due to uh, pauses so you missed words and you weren't in on the complete meeting and that's frustrating to do so uh, you can pay to get higher packages but they aren't anything like fiber yet so we need that. Rural areas, they've uh, become so technologically minded now with combines. GPS is, you know, works off uh, tower systems, but when they take that data that they've taken from the combine into the home, they need uh, good Internet speeds to process that into readable maps and stuff that means something to them. So we're finding with today's younger farmers and in the rural communities, you need to have reliable, fast Internet service in order to function like you want to. And the young people would definitely emphasize that more than some of us older ones like myself that are backing out. So, Right, but it's, it's definitely something that impacts just about every single Minnesotan uh, for sure. Uh, Scott, I was going to ask you, too, uh, one of the, the main things that you're focusing on this month is uh, the transition to clean energy. Um, how is that going? Obviously, it's something that uh, U.S. Congress is, is constantly looking at. We've got our state lawmakers looking at it as well. How is that going for the cooperatives? Well, I think it's something that we'll definitely be able to balance. Uh, we've got multiple power suppliers here at Federated uh, and all of them are doing their fair share to, you know, provide a renewable resource in our portfolio to us. Uh, we have a WAPA allocation, which is 100% hydro uh, for the most part. And, you know, of course, Basin has been doing a lot with wind and solar. Uh, GRE is starting to do a lot more with wind, especially. Uh, we've, we've got an Alliant contract. Uh, they're heavy into wind and solar. Uh, we currently, with all of our uh, renewable resources in our portfolio today, including our 2.1 megawatt wind turbine, we're at about 30% already. So uh, probably a little bit higher than that by the end of the year as new resources come on. So honestly, I think, you know, you've heard this before, but cooperatives are you know, innovative, and we can we can roll with the punches, and I think we'll be just fine. 
And then the third thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and you can tell me, I'm not sure if this is something that's as controversial an issue as it has been in the past, and that is uh, the implementation and and greater usage of electric vehicles. And uh, Dave, I'll go back to you on this one. Uh, Is this something that that you find any reluctance from your members about? Uh, it's slow acceptance primarily, and the biggest factor is range. Uh, I think I myself would like to have an electric vehicle, but for traveling or for extended work, when you're living some people 20 miles from town, you try to make two trips in a day, and you're already reaching some of the over half your range on your vehicle. So if there's an emergency and you've got to run to a, one of the major hospitals like out in Sioux Falls and stuff, that taxes your capacity on range for anything under uh, 160 miles or, you know, so uh, most of the rural areas, I think, are a little reluctant. It adapts well to metro areas where you have short turnaround distances and uh, availability of fast charging here we'd be doing our charging overnight and and so if you had any longer trips that you were planning you aren't going to do real well with them until the range gets longer thank you to my guests scott reimer and dave hansen with the federated rural electric association minnesota matters will return after this Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Salvation Army's 2021 Hope Marches On campaign is underway, and Tasha Radel has more. Amid the rising threat of evictions and a resurging pandemic, and with less than 70 days until Christmas, the Salvation Army is reminding everyone that individuals and families will continue to need assistance this holiday season. Joining me today is the Salvation Army's Dan Furry. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about some of the volunteering needs that you have and programs you serve? Yeah, um, you're absolutely right um, that we are already at work on Christmas, um, and we have kicked it off. And our initial focus right now is uh, getting the word out um, uh, for people to consider volunteering with the Salvation Army during these uh, days leading up to Christmas and the end of the year. Um, we we literally need thousands in, uh, of volunteers, and so it takes it takes a, a good effort to try and and sign up the the numbers of people that we need uh, to to volunteer during this particular holiday season. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the volunteering opportunities that you have and the programs you serve? Sure, absolutely. Um, there's all kinds of uh, of opportunities, but the big three especially during the, the Christmas season, uh, number one people will, will automatically know is bell ringers. Uh, in the Twin Cities, we put out about 300 kettles, red kettles, and uh, we need bell ringers to uh, ring bells at the kettles to collect uh, important funds for, for what we use for programs all year round. Um, the, the interesting thing about this is 300 kettles equates to about 50,000 volunteer shifts. Now we 
we rarely fill them all up, uh, but it just illustrates the number of people that uh, we we could use uh, in order to to raise money at the red kettles. Another opportunity is with our toy shop gift distribution. We do this every Christmas, and and we we need help in two areas: registering families for the the toy shop distribution, and then helping uh, during the days that we distribute toys to families. Uh, so we we need volunteers for the toy shop distribution. And the other third big need is we have li- nine local food shelves, and uh, uh, because of the pandemic, we um, uh, the, the need at the food shelves has grown so much that we always need help uh, organizing food, sorting food at our food shelves, getting ready for people to make pickups. Um, and the thing I should point out is all of these opportunities will be safe and, and uh, uh, following all the COVID protocols. So we're, we're very um, uh, careful about that, and we want, make, we want to make sure that people understand uh, that this, these will be safe opportunities. Let's talk about the importance of these different volunteering campaigns that you mentioned. I know, I think especially what jumps to my mind is bell ringing around the state. This really contributes to your overall budget for the upcoming year. Would you say that's fair? That is more than fair to say. Um, we the, the money that we collect at the Kettles is very, very important because it, it it helps certainly during the holiday season, but it, it helps all year round. And, you know, there's all kinds of programs that that money goes toward. It goes towards uh, a food, as I mentioned earlier, food for hungry families. It goes toward rent and utility assistance for those that might be facing eviction. It goes for nights of shelter for those folks who are homeless. Um, it helps battle addiction at our uh, adult rehabilitation centers. And lastly, it, it, it provides support for emergency disaster release. Right now, we've we've got teams down in Louisiana because of the, the Hurricane Ida. So uh, there's, there's all kinds of programs that this money goes to support. And so it's very, very important uh, at, at the Christmas time of year. For someone listening today that's interested in volunteering, what is the best way to sign up? Oh, that's a great question. And it's very easy. Uh, simply go to SalvationArmyNorth.org, and uh, there's a couple of links. Um, they, they both link to our, our volunteers. So look for volunteer the volunteer link, and they can see all of the different opportunities. And, and as I mentioned, uh, bell ringing, uh, toy shop, uh, food shelves, those are all going to be there. But there will be other opportunities as well. And one of the things we like to pride ourselves on is um, – We'll find uh, an opportunity for everyone. Everybody has different gifts, different skills, um, but we'll find an opportunity for everyone. Well, we're about out of time today, Dan. Uh, any final thoughts? You know, I'll I'll say one thing, um, and because I, I really do believe this. Uh, as as we mentioned, the red kettles are so important to the Salvation Army. Those actually kick off uh, second week of November. Um, but all of all of the slots are open for registration now, so you've got the best pick of the slots. If, if you have a place near your house that you want to um, uh, uh, ring a bell at, uh, if you want to coordinate something with with family members or friends or people you work with, that makes it even more fun. But one of the things I leave people with is if you, if you feel like there's ever been a time where you've forgotten 
what the true spirit or the true meaning of Christmas is, come out and ring a bell for a couple hours and you'll quickly remember what Christmas is all about. Thanks again to my guest, Dan Furry, with the Salvation Army of Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Rochester Community and Technical College history instructor Chad Israelson has written and released a new book called Kings of the North, detailing the history of the Minnesota Vikings. The book chronicles in both pictures and words the franchise from the very beginning. Eminent sports director Mike Grimm spoke with Israelson about the book. The book, uh, yeah, Kings of the North, and it is the uh, photographs and history of the Minnesota Vikings. So it takes uh, the 60 years of Vikings history uh, year by year. So a little synopsis of each year. Uh, at the end of uh, each decade is an all-decade team uh, that I chose uh, based on, obviously, contribution, that sort of thing. And then um, it is filled with uh, fantastic photographs. Uh, the publisher did an excellent job uh, with the layout of it, and it is a beautiful book. It really is. I have a review copy in front of me. Just even the cover is awesome. You've got Fran Tarkenton and Chuck Foreman and others uh, in a snowy picture. It looks like the Buffalo Bills, the opponent. Just a, a wonderful cover photo. And then the photos throughout. Take us through the process of, of how the publisher was able to, um, you know, to come up with it and then design it so well. Well, uh, I'll just start with the cover uh, yep. because it is kind of personal to me. So that's the... Uh, a uh, game from 1975, uh, Fran Tarkington broke the all-time touchdown passing record. I was actually five years old. It's the second game I ever remember watching. My mom wanted to take me to a Disney movie. Uh, it was a Saturday game, uh, too, by the way, and uh, I refused to go. And so, you know, <laughs> as far as the Vikings and me, that's sort of when the relationship started. Um, but uh, the book itself, yeah, Ryan and I, Ryan Jacobson is the uh, publisher um, we just went through and chose, you know, what we just thought were, uh, you know, the best photographs uh, throughout uh, Vikings history, you know, broad, uh, you know, not just from one era. Um, and, uh, you know, those outside games, well, this one uh, on the cover, of course, was in Buffalo, wasn't at the Met. But, uh, you know, those are always things that elicit uh, great memories for Viking fans. Um, but, uh yeah, it was just a, a matter of trying to, to match the photographs up with the text that I wrote. And 
Uh, it was a great process, and like I said, he did a wonderful job with it. Chad Israelson with us. The name of the book is Kings of the North, and you mentioned you were five years old. You skipped the Disney movie, stayed back, watched the Vikings game, and, and a love affair was born. Um, take us through um, from that moment now forward uh, to the point of writing a book on the team, uh, the ups and downs of being a Vikings fan for you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, uh, I think, something that uh, everyone uh, can relate to. And, of course, you know, the book, uh, it doesn't have a happy ending yet, but uh, we're, we're hoping that uh, in the next couple of years that it will. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, of course, every Viking fan has been on this journey. You know, it's, it's an obsession, uh, that idea of winning the Super Bowl. I grew up in that era, you know, where they were – I watched the Raiders' Super Bowl. That was the last of the four. So, you know, any, anybody in my age or older, you know, has that in them. And, of course, the younger generations, it's sort of in their DNA. You know, they all know the story. So um, it's ups and downs. I mean, they're obviously the, uh, the Ahmad Rashad catch in 1980 against the Browns, that Hail Mary, Stephon Diggs a couple years ago against the Saints. Those are the high points. But, you know, we love the Vikings. Uh, every Viking fan uh, I think, you know, would absolutely say, you know, I'm on this ride and I'm going to keep on it. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't switch with any other team. But in a way, I've been writing this book almost since I was a little kid. I still have my my Viking report that became Viking Update from the 1980s. Uh, I've saved all those. Uh, when I was writing this, I had a shocking number of newspapers from the Monday after a game. So I had a great set of resources to go back to um but yeah i've i've been a fanatic and uh you know it was something that uh you know i had a couple of friends that also were that same way so we would watch all the games together and um you know in one way it's uh like i said it's been a little bit frustrating from time to time and and we all know that but on the other hand uh it has been a beautiful ride yeah, no question. And and with this book, you mentioned uh, you you're a writer. Um, you're a fan of history. I can tell that. And of course, you're a fan of the, of the uh, the Vikings. Clearly, um, it's kind of a neat collaboration of a bunch of your interests uh, into this project, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually a, a history instructor at uh, Rochester Community and Technical College. I've been doing that for about 26 years. So, uh, you know, I've got the the history approach to it. Uh, obviously, the the Viking fandom. Um, and, uh, the, the, the thinking on this book is, you know, if it does pretty well, uh, there is kind of a companion piece that we're hoping to do in about two years. So, you know, the, uh, this is the history part of it. And then I've got sort of my other portion of it. Um, the whole project began, it, it really hit me, uh, in 2007, it was when Adrian Peterson broke the rushing record, the uh, single game rushing record against the chargers. Uh, and I just thought, wow, that is one of the most amazing football things I've ever seen. And I just started thinking, well, you know, what, what are the greatest things in Vikings history? And, and uh, you know, that was really the genesis of the book. So, yeah, I took my uh, sort of history background, my love of the Vikings, uh, you know, made a great connection with uh, Lake 7 Creative, the publisher. And, you know, it all came together in this, and we're hoping then that it uh, is a relationship that bears fruit, not with this book, but also uh, some more in the future. 
That's Kings of the North author Chad Israelson with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. Kings of the North is available for purchase anywhere books are sold. Part two of the interview will come next week in Minnesota Matters. That is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.